Hello and welcome to today's episode of Outrun the Menopause. I'm Nikki Edwards, physiotherapist and avid runner. And today we're going to be talking about the differences between males and females and does it really matter when it comes to exercise and nutrition? Aside from the obvious external anatomical differences, the main difference between males and females and how we respond to exercise and our training is our different sex hormones that dominate after we've gone through puberty. Now, men have significantly higher levels of testosterone compared to women. Now, women's key sex hormones are estrogen and our progesterone. They fluctuate regularly throughout the menstrual cycle. And then throughout life, they change. So they can go crazy and very unpredictable during perimenopause. And then they drop off and sort of flatline almost completely post-menopause. So these changes in our hormones impact our ability to make muscle our metabolism so that's the fuels that we burn and the fuels that we spare as we're doing our exercise it impacts our ability to recover from our training it impacts how well we tolerate the heat and as lots of you be aware and from the previous episode it impacts our moods and so so much more so what I thought would be useful during today's episode that will help with Uh, future episodes is just have a little look at the differences between males and females and why that is going to have an impact on us not just from a hormonal perspective with perimenopause and so on but even for those people that are still going through normal menstrual cycles the pre-menopause women so you can understand what's happening with your body now the first thing i want to talk about is body mass and weight now lots of people mistakenly refer to our body mass as our weight So to to just define the two, our body mass is the stuff we're actually made of. Our mass is our bone, our muscle, our fat and our organs. And this is very difficult to change. You wouldn't want to change it. You don't really want to be losing any bone or any muscle. And how this body mass is distributed is different between males and females. And I'll explain in a moment. Now, our weight, this is the number that's shown on the scales if we decide to stand on them. That fluctuates widely depending on how much fluid you've taken in, what you've eaten throughout the day, how much glycogen you've got stored in your muscles. And this can literally vary like hour to hour if you're exercising. And what I found sort of really interesting when I was doing my research with this is that for every one gram of glycogen that you're storing in your muscles, you store three grams of water. So that's an awful lot. So if you're, for example, about to run a marathon and you've eaten lots of carbs and you've got your body completely stored up with glycogen, you're going to be storing an awful lot of water as well. So you might jump on the scales and go, oh my gosh, I'm really heavy. I've got to carry all this 26.2 miles. But... Don't worry, ladies, it's just a whole load of water in there as well. And the thing is, as you get fitter, as you're exercising more, you become better at storing glycogen so you can store more of it. So then you are more likely to be a little bit heavier and it's not fat. You're just storing the glycogen and some extra water. During perimenopause, as our hormones are starting to fluctuate, unfortunately, we tend to lose muscle and increase our fat gain. Now, the loss of muscle mass and that increase in fat during perimenopause and beyond is one of the hardest things that women find really difficult to accept 
Because it doesn't matter how hard we work on self-acceptance and body positivity. Our entire lives, society is telling us how important it is to look a certain way or to be a certain size. And, you know, even though you've got lots of people saying, oh, yes, curvy is amazing and fat is fabulous. You know, when it comes down to it, when we look in that mirror and when we put our clothes on, it's how we feel that is the most important thing. And we've spent our entire lives like being told that we need to diet and we need to exercise to maintain our certain weight. And what might be working really, really well for you prior to perimenopause, all of a sudden doesn't work. Like, bang, overnight you start gaining weight, you're putting it on in places that you've never seen it before. And because of oestrogen promotes fluid retention, you end up retaining water all over as well. So you might even sort of feel puffier, especially sort of during perimenopause when oestrogen is really, really high. So all of these changes can really leave you feeling sort of weighed down in, in more ways than one. Lots of women that I see sort of in clinic or sort of speaking to online... This is one of the things that really sort of upsets them. They're like, literally, yesterday, Nikki, these trousers fit like a dream and now I can't even do the button up and this jacket isn't right. You know, my my boobs are sort of bursting through. And that might be the case on one day, but then a week later when the hormones are different, those trousers fit beautifully again. And it can be really hard to accept, especially if you're going on a night out and, you know, you want to feel glam and your favourite clothes don't fit and, you know... I've had it, you just think, oh, stuff it, I'm not going out anymore. But please try and stay positive. It does fluctuate and there are lots of things that we can do to help. Even people that don't gain weight as they're going through perimenopause and beyond, as females, our body composition changes. So as I said, we're losing muscle and we're putting on fat and often in places that we've never had it before. Because our changes in estrogen and our stress hormones, they tend to send fat more to our abdominal area and around our organs. And that's what's leading to that kind of classic meno belly, the belly that you've now got that you never had before that lots of women complain about. And people often see fat as a really, really negative thing. But fat is essential. We can't train, we can't race, we can't even live without fat. Most of us only think of fat as the stuff that we can see under our skin in the places that we'd rather not see it, kind of around our bottom and our tummy and our hips and our thighs. Now, this is our storage fat. And these are our energy reserves that we accumulate. And it acts as as padding and it generates key hormones that help regulate our insulin and our sugar levels. Now, we need some of this fat, but not an abundance of it you don't want too much now most of the fat that you don't see in the mirror is your essential body fat and this essential fat is needed for metabolism to help your nerves fire properly to help with the structure of your cells and as a woman we tend to keep this essential fat in our breasts and our pelvic area And between men and women, the difference is quite a lot. Essential fat in men is only about 4%. And in women, it's 12% because we're designed to reproduce. So healthy body fat ranges, if we combine that essential body fat and the non-essential body fat, healthy range for men is about 5 to 25%. But in females, it's actually 12 to 30%. 
So if you've got some of those fancy scales that you can stand on that tell you what your percentage of body fat is, you want to aim to be within that 12 to 30% range. That's a healthy range. If you're trying to reduce your body fat down to 10%, and I've had women that are trying to get it below 5% and even worse, that really, really is unhealthy for you. And for people that are pre-menopause, going that low can interfere with your hormone productions and can lead to your period stopping. Now, while females tend to have more body fat than males, we don't have the same metabolic consequences that are associated with having a higher body fat. Now, metabolic diseases such as type 2 diabetes and atherosclerosis are linked to fat around the midsection. This abdominal fat distribution, where males tend to store their fat around their midriff, is what's associated more with these metabolic diseases. So as we start to go through perimenopause and beyond, and our body starts to lay down more fat in our abdominal area, then unfortunately our risk of these diseases start to rise as well. So that's why once we get into perimenopause and beyond, the incidence of all the rates of type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease start to increase in women as well. Now our ability to make muscle is different between men and women and for Everybody, what's quite worrying is that our muscle mass decreases by approximately 3 to 8% every decade after the age of 30, which is quite young. You think, oh my gosh, you know, we're already at 30 or beyond 30 and I'm losing my muscle mass already. And this rate of decline is even higher after the age of 60 for everybody. But for females, once we start to get our changes in hormones into perimenopause and beyond, that is accelerated for us as well. If we look at the different type of muscle fibers, we've got two different types. We've got our slow twitch muscle fibers, our type one fibers. Now these are our sort of steady state uh, muscle fibers. These are the ones that are really good at endurance. They tend to work a lot in the background. And then we've got our type two muscle fibers, which are our fast twitch muscle fibers. And these are the ones that can generate really explosive force, and, but they can only work for a short period of time. So these are your sort of sprinting muscles. Men and women have a, a similar sort of composition, a similar amount of type one and type two muscle fibers. But what's really interesting, if you cut through the muscles and have a little look, women's type one endurance fibers tend to be the largest, the thicker ones, whereas men's tend to be the type two fibers. So that explains why women tend to be a little bit better at the endurance type activities, whereas men are able to generate more power and more explosion and tend to be faster in sort of like sprinting type things. If we look at where we have our muscle, lots of research has shown that women are about 55% as strong as men in their upper bodies, but we're 66% as strong in our lower bodies. Now, this is because women tend to carry most of our lean muscle tissue below our waist in our legs. Now, when I speak to women about the importance of strength training, especially once we're sort of over 40 and we're losing our muscle mass, the first thing that comes out of people's mouth is, but Nikki, I don't want to do that. I don't want to bulk up. I don't want to look like a bikini model in a sort of a muscle competition. And I have to kind of sometimes try and stifle my laugh because those ladies in those bikini muscle competitions have worked really really hard over so many years of extreme strength training extreme sort of dieting in order to look like that and the average woman doing some strength training three times a week as I would advise never going to bulk up and look like one of those bikini models 
And this is even more so once we get in our 40s and beyond because estrogen is anabolic. Estrogen helps us build muscle. But once we get into our 40s and beyond, we have that decline in estrogen. So we lose that anabolic stimulus and it makes it a lot harder for us to kind of maintain the muscle that we've got and it's even harder to make new muscle. So while your training pre-menopause might have worked really well for you for maintaining that muscle tone and definition that you're looking for, unfortunately, that isn't going to be enough now you're going into perimenopause and beyond. What we need to do at this stage of our life in order to maintain our muscle mass is to do something else to replace that anabolic stimulus that we've lost. And in order to do that, our training needs to change and we need to do high intensity interval training. So that's where you do short bursts of really high intense exercise, like 20 to 30 seconds, really, really hard, followed by rest periods of, say, another sort of 15 seconds and then repeat. And the other thing that can help produce this anabolic stimulus is to do heavy resistance training. Now, when I refer to heavy, it's choosing a weight that you can lift to the point where you're fatiguing after three to five repetitions. Now, you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, Nikki, if I'm lifting something that heavy, then I'm definitely going to bulk up. But you're not going to because without that estrogen there and without everything that kind of goes with trying to build up huge muscle, it's not going to happen. Now, when you lift heavy weights for three to five repetitions, what you're doing is you're stimulating an improvement in the neural mechanisms, the connection between the brain and the muscle so that you can recruit more muscle fibers with every single contraction. So if we look at a muscle, the muscle has thousands and thousands and thousands of muscle fibers within it. And when we do a contraction, we don't use every single muscle fiber every time. We just use a few of them. What you'll find is when you're trying to lift some weights and you feel like your muscles are shaking, that's because your muscle fibers are cycling through, recruiting different muscle fibers, and some are turning off and some are turning on. But in order to develop more strength, more power, you can do this with the same amount of muscle, the same muscle mass or size, but with an improved ability to recruit more muscle fibers all at once. And you can do that with the heavy resistance training. So that's choosing a weight that you can only lift that by sort of three to five repetitions, you're working really, really hard. And by doing that and improving that brain muscle connection, what you're doing is you're able to produce a stronger, more powerful muscle contraction with less muscle bulk. So you won't get big, you won't get bulky, but you will get stronger. Now, one of the things that people say to me is that, hey, it's all right, Nikki, it doesn't matter. I'm on HRT or menopause hormone therapy. I'm okay. I've got some estrogen. But what we have shown is that the anabolic effect that you get from your own estrogen, your natural estrogen that you produce, doesn't have the same effect when it's replaced with synthetic estrogen. Now, estrogen in HRT or menopause hormone therapy, it can help to maintain the lean muscle mass that you have. So it does have benefits from that point of view, but it doesn't help you build it. So even if you're on HRT, menopause hormone therapy, in order to build new muscle to get stronger, you need the anabolic stimulus of HIIT training or heavy resistance training. 
And especially when I work with runners, these are the things that they don't want to do. Runners only ever want to run. But one way that you can get around it as a runner is you can do some hill sprints or some interval training. So you could either go to a track or find a hill near your house. And after you've done a nice warm up, so you're sort of ready and you're prepared, you can do sort of 20 second sprints as hard as you can, go flat out and then jog back to the start for your recovery and then go hard as you can again, really flat out, jog back for the recovery. So even with part of your run training, you can create it as a high intensity type workout. There's lots of other reasons why you need to do strength training and also plyometrics, which is jump training in terms of maintaining your bone density. But that's for another podcast. Otherwise, we'll be here all day. Now, when we're looking at maintaining our lean muscle mass and trying to improve it, we also need to make sure that we're consuming enough protein because protein is the amino acids that are the building blocks of muscle. And you need to make sure you have the right amount of protein at the right time in order to reap the benefits of your efforts. Now, trying to build muscle without protein is like trying to build a house without bricks. You can't build muscles without the building blocks. And lots of women say, oh my gosh, Nikki, I can't possibly eat after training. I feel sick. I feel really nauseous. So I just wait till later in the day. But women only have a 30 minute window after a training session in order to get that protein on board to get the maximum benefit. Now, men, they have the luxury of having two hours so they can do their workout. They can go for a shower. They can go for a pint. (laughs) Um, Probably not so good for their health benefits. But men have a two hour window. They have much bigger luxury than us females to get that protein on board. But what was really interesting when I listened to Mo Farah speak at a big event, he said that he aims to consume his protein within 20 minutes of a workout. So this is an elite athlete, a male elite athlete, trying to get it in within 20 minutes of a workout. So hey, what's good enough for Mo Farah is good enough for me. One of the important things that we need to be aware of once we become perimenopausal is that our recovery after exercise takes longer. So whereas when you're sort of pre-menopausal, you can go out and you can train every day and you can bounce back really quickly and you can do hard sessions back to back, that gets much more challenging as we're getting older. And what's really, really important is that The fitness adaptations, the changes in our body that in response to exercise don't happen during the training session. It's after and during the recovery phase that you're getting those changes and making that benefit. So if you don't have enough recovery time, you're not then going to be able to repair and reap the rewards for your efforts. Also, if you do too many training sessions in quick succession, you end up putting yourself at a greater risk of injury because you haven't given your body time to adapt and to heal and to recover from the session before. So for people that are pre-menopause, if we look at a periodization, so a, a table of your training, what tends to work well is having three weeks of training sessions where it gradually gets more difficult and it sort of peaks at that third week. And then you'd have a lighter week. So you do sort of uh, cross training. If you're a runner, you might just do some swimming instead or going for walks, doing some yoga or some Pilates. But once we hit perimenopause, because we need more time to recover, we then do a slightly different training program where we do two weeks on, one week off. 
Now, some people find it really hard to get their head around this. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm not training enough. I'm not going to perform. You know, if they're training for a marathon, they're like, my 20 week marathon training plan says I need to do this at that time. But what's important to remember is training plans that you find on the internet are generic. They're not based on being male or female. They're not based on your age. They're not based on what available time you have to train. So try not to panic about sticking to a certain training plan. Think about your age, what stage you're at with menopause. And if you've got pretty regular cycles still, if you're kind of pre-menopause or in the very early stages of perimenopause, you can be going towards that three weeks on, one week off. But if you've got crazy cycles, your hormones are all over the place, you're kind of on that perimenopausal roller coaster or you're beyond that, you're postmenopause, your hormones are flatlined, then you need to stick to the two weeks hard, one week off, give your body the chance to recover, let it absorb the benefits of those training and then you can go hard again. By doing that, you're going to get the best outcome for your effort and minimise your risk of injury. So if you go to train too much, too soon, not have recovery time, you're going to end up getting tissue breakdown and getting injured. It's harder to recover from injury as we're getting older because our tissues just don't repair as quickly as they used to. So do make sure you have enough rest. Men can stick to that three weeks on, one week off throughout their life. They get away with it, although it does take them longer to recover as they're getting older because they don't have this fluctuations in their hormones. They're not as susceptible to that as us ladies. So to summarise, ladies, apart from the obvious external anatomical differences, the main difference between males and females and how our bodies respond to exercise and training is our different sex hormones that dominate after puberty. And as I said, men have that higher level of testosterone. And for females, it's our estrogen and our progesterone that are impacting our training and our recovery, especially the estrogen. So as we start to go into perimenopause and beyond, once it flatlines, we need to change how we train in order to get the benefits. So the natural fluctuations in our hormones impact our ability to make muscle, where we store our fat, what fuels we burn when we're training, our ability to recover and repair from our training, how well we tolerate the heat, and so, so much more. And I am going to go into these um, areas individually within different podcasts. We're going to have some that literally talk about strength trainings, an episode that talks about metabolism, an episode that goes into hydration and how that impacts our performance and our health and well-being. So this was just a little snippet of the different things that we're going to be looking at just so that you can get an idea of what's coming. But if you have anything in particular you'd like me to cover on this podcast, do just send me an email, drop me a DM on social media. I want to make sure that I'm giving you all the information that you need without kind of trying to overload you with the science because I can end up being a bit of a geek and start spouting research articles. But that could be a little bit dry. I'd rather explain how you can apply it into your life and how you exercise and keep yourself nice and healthy. So if you do have any questions, do reach out. I am going to be doing uh, Q&A sessions. Um, So one of those will be coming up shortly in a new short episode. So keep an eye on your podcast provider. 
So if you've enjoyed this episode and found it useful, please do hit the like, the subscribe button, leave me a comment, send me a message. I really, really appreciate it. And if you have enjoyed this, share with anyone else that you think could benefit. And if you could leave a review on wherever you subscribe to this podcast, that will really, really help. It will help boost it up in the rankings so that other people can find this podcast. I've been Nikki Edwards, physiotherapist, avid runner. Have a great week out there training, ladies. And I look forward to speaking to you all next week. Are you ready to outrun the menopause? Let's go. Let's go.